1, verse 11 through verse 17, and then I've asked uh, Tim Failer if he would pray for the ministry of the Word. Galatians 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely jealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. There are some who look at this passage and see an autobiography. Paul talks about his life, one of the few times he does in his letters talk about his life, and there is autobiographical information here. Some people see it as a travelogue, his diary of where he went after his conversion in Damascus. And if it is a travelogue, it's kind of a negative travelogue because he tells us where he did not go and what he did not do there. And I think you could call it, and I hope that I'm not overdoing this, it is not so much a partial autobiography, but an objective view of what the issue is at stake. That is, what is the gospel? So yes, we get autobiographical information, but I hope that that's not all that we see here. I mean, Paul's opponents thought it possible that Paul had met with the other apostles and gotten his gospel from them, had been instructed in the gospel, but perhaps he either misunderstood what they said, and so he preached from that misunderstanding, or perhaps he did understand what they said, but for his own purposes, he changed the gospel to suit those purposes. If we were to look at the nuts and bolts, I call it, of of the passage, we're beginning the first of three sections of Galatians. I believe, again, it's kind of cut into three sections. And verses 11 and 12 are the introduction to the first section, which takes us from 111 down through chapter 2, verse 14. But I include 11 and 12 with 13 through 17 because there's kind of a... And sometimes I have trouble seeing it until someone points it out to me, but there's a kind of what's called in Hebrew the chiastic, kind of a a cross between two points um, in the language. And it might read something like this. The gospel is not from a human source. It came by divine revelation. That's 11.12. But in 13 through 17, we see... When God revealed his son in me, I did not consult any human being. 
See, he says, it's, it's not from any human source. It's not from any human being that I consulted with and, and who taught me. It came by a divine revelation. It came by a revelation outside of me. In fact, it was revealed to me by God himself through his Son. And so we want to recognize that, first of all. We want to recognize what Paul is saying in 11 and 12 as a preface to his autobiographical travelogue. Recognize and, and the relevancy of the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, the language that he uses there, for I would have you know, brethren. It's the language that says, what I'm about to tell you is new information, listen up. And yes, there are things in here that they probably knew about, but he's, he's trying to make what one of the commentators called a full disclosure. And, and that's the, the language of the Greek, is, is a disclosure type of passage. I would have you know, brethren. And there are those who say to the Galatians, Paul doesn't have any feelings for them. Yeah, he does. He calls them brethren. He, he recognizes that this these people he's talking to are people of perhaps different nationalities. There were Jews, there were Greeks, and probably some proselytes that were there. And Paul's just saying, I, I'm recognizing that you are brothers in Christ, but there's information disclosed that I need to disclose to you. And, and perhaps as a complaint of Paul's that they didn't fully understand or know what the gospel was. And so he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. See, he, he doesn't just say, well, this gospel that I've been preaching and go on. He, he, I think he's very careful to say the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. There's that present tense that you used in the Greek. So they will understand my focus, my emphasis in the passage, at, as we go along, you'll see that it is not me or me preaching, but it is my gospel that I preach. And it's not according to man, as we have already said. We, we, we heard the word of the proto-evangelium uh, earlier, that word that, that means the good news, e evangel, the evangel. He, and, and Paul uses a play on word here, the gospel that I gospeled to you, the good news that I good news to you. Again, the emphasis is on the good news. It's on the gospel. It's not on, on Paul. Not according to man. We've talked about this before. Again, one of the foundational concepts of Galatians. Not a human invention. It doesn't conform to what human beings think the gospel ought to be. And by Paul saying this, I think we can also say it was not an invention of Paul on his own. And not a tradition handed down to him. But I received it, he says, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Something totally different, something totally truthful. Revelation by Christ, of Christ. Jesus, the Savior, made known to him, and there is some debate among the commentators, inside and out, I would say, to Paul. We, 
go back and read his conversion on the Damascus Road, and there are those who say, yeah, that was the outside. But don't you believe that Paul is saying that I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ? There was a conversion on the inside as well? And I don't know that I can answer that question. I don't know that I need to debate that question. What we do know is that that conversion, that revelation was complete and effective in Paul. And that we can say, that it, it did its work. And as we have been studying in Sunday school, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and Jesus says this in his own ministry, the Old Testament scriptures, they point to me. They, they tell of me. And so the, the Christ of the Old Testament revealed there is the Christ of the New Testament as well. The Old Testament points to Christ, and the New Testament is God's record of Christ, revealed through Paul to us. All other Gospels that are not based and not the revelation of God to us through Christ are wrong. Think about it. All the other things that purport to be a good news for man, they, they don't work. Now in our society, which is very secular, there's, there's all kinds of Gospels, if I can call them that. Wealth creation is a gospel. The United Nations is a gospel. Some preach the gospel of capitalism. Some prefer the gospel of communism. In our country, especially in the last 40 years, it's education. Got to have the education. That is what will save man. That will, is what will change man if he's educated. If you believe the Gatorade commercials, it's recreation instead of education. Or the gospel of rejecting climate change and buying free range. Or if you listen to AM radio like I do when I'm working out in the morning, you cannot help but be nauseated by the gospel of a flatter belly. six-pack abs, and you'll be all right. None of these Gospels work. None of these can save man from his sin, from himself even. All other Gospels that are not the revelation of Jesus Christ also do not honor God. Josh Moody in his commentary says, does it honor God because it is all from God, or is some other institution person or technique getting the glory. See, see there's, there's your litmus test. Is God getting the glory or is some other person, some other technique, some other institution, or some other pill getting the glory? Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the base things. God chose the despised things. God chose the things that are not, he says, to nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. The passage that Tim read from Exodus 10. 
You know, God said, if you would approach me, you would know that I am holy. And as we approach the gospel, we would know that he is holy and his revelation is true. And if the gospel does not come through the revelation of Christ, it does not work and it doesn't honor God. And it also doesn't make us do those things that are right. And plenty of businesses, and I, you know, I worked in industry for 20-something years. All businesses now, I think, have value statements, do they not? Or conduct policies? And they still cheat. It doesn't change who they are fundamentally. They can have those things, but it doesn't change them. I mean, we've had 50 years now, 60 years, I don't know, of sexual liberation, have we not? But we have the same old spousal abuse, we have the same old diseases, and in fact, we're getting more. And there's no surprises there that the quote-unquote new morality is the same old immorality just in a new cloak or unclothed. Some other Gospels in our world are Jesus plus Gospels, as some of the commentators like to write it. Some churches are not immune to these things. The Gospel of musical style. The Gospel of clothing styles. Or book authors. If you are not reading this author, then you can't be a Christian. There are some Gospels and churches of stress free living, the gospel of church growth, the gospel of 40 days of purpose, the gospel of affirming our own self-esteem, the gospel of loving interpersonal relationships. But is this the gospel that Jesus revealed to the Apostle Paul? Is this what makes Christians Christian? Josh Moody again asks, what things are we on the verge of believing necessary for our church life other than faith in Jesus Christ through the centrality of his word? Or if I could paraphrase one of the ubiquitous ads on my computer that I can't stand anymore, so I turn it off, what's in your gospel? Now, by necessity, an autobiography uses the word I a lot. You read an autobiography, I've done this, I've done that, or I went here, I went there. Now, the grammarians will tell you that when uh, the I is used, you always look to see if it's emphatic, if it's emphasized somehow. And in verse 13, when Paul uses the word I, I used to persecute the church of God, it's emphatic. And when the word is emphatic, it has some kind of a contrast. It leads us to a contrast. Either I did this and you did not, or I did this and you did that. There's some kind of a contrast here. Before we look at that, let me ask this question. How is the average Christian viewed by non-believers today? How would the average Christian be characterized? Well, I, I think there could be a lot of things, but most generally I would say that they would characterize a Christian as a person who is for certain moral positions and against certain forms of behavior, 
for this and against that. And that leads us to think about, well, what is Christianity anyway? And is Christianity really different from a religion? Paul was one of those who had a religion. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. He said, you've, you've heard about my Judaism. You've heard about the way that I lived, this form that I lived in. And i trying to understand the, the, the origin of, of terms like Judaism and Judaizer. And I came across a reference that it was actually attributed to the, the Maccabees came up with that word, that phrase, to mean those Jews that wanted to live like Greeks. In other words, they had their, their manner of life. They were Jewish, but they wanted to live in a certain way. And then it became kind of the, the rules and the regulations on how we, they were to live life. Paul, of course, was a Pharisee. He says, I think it's Philippians, Pharisee of the Pharisees. They followed the rabbinic form that was rules written down. And I, at one count, one of the commentators said there were 613 rules to follow. But it was trying to write the rules of faith in a way that was achievable by human beings. And what does this lead to? Well, we're taught, again, in, in science classes, and I was taught in industry, that if you're going to do an experiment or if you're going to have a project, uh, you, you ha it has to be doable, it has to be quantifiable, and it has to be measurable. You can measure your progress. And when we do this kind of religion, we're bringing religion into this something that's easily defined, quantifiable, and measurable. That's what the Pharisees did. They wanted to say, well, these are things, these are the standards that are achievable by humans. And, and Paul says, I was, this was my former manner of life. How I used to do this Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, he says. And sometimes that religion, what one of the authors calls the religion of I, I used to persecute the church of God. I used to do these things. I was advancing. And religion can be a tool to persecute other people. It can be a tool to persecute even as Paul perhaps realized as he was writing this phrase, I was persecuting the church of God. Religion can be used even to persecute those for whom Christ died. And Paul perhaps as he writes in verse 13 about his persecution and his attempts to destroy Christianity. Again, if I could paraphrase from Philippians, for to me, at this point in his life, for to me to live was to hunt down Christians. But how does the average Christian view Christianity in America? or view America just as America. I think as a 
Christians, we tend to look at America as a Christian nation, one blessed by God and endowed with certain rights and privileges. And Paul takes a certain religion of I in his Judaism, does he not? I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely jealous for my ancestral traditions. I think in there, there there's the personal and there's the national in, in, this, in this verse. He's thinking about the Judaism, the, the rules and the regulations, particularly we see focus in this book that he, or letter that he writes, circumcision, sacrifices, the Sabbath. And religion can become a doctrine of national pride, of national religion, a doctrine of, if you will, pride and prejudice. Religion can become a place of competition, can it not? I was advancing in Judaism beyond my contemporaries. I was going beyond with this extraordinary zeal that I had, beyond my countrymen. Churches can fall into that religion of I, can't they? Competing for the best-looking building, competing for the biggest choir, the best orator in the pulpit, the largest attendance on Sunday services. And religion can fuel a zeal, can it not? A zeal without knowledge is really what I think Paul is getting at here. A zeal without knowledge. For tradition, traditional codes of behavior, teaching men and women that their actions are more important than what they know. And they, he would do, I think, what we see, anything, anything that threatened those traditions that he learned by his ancestors. His father was a Pharisee. His grandfather, as far as I can understand, was probably a Pharisee. And they were zealous for the law, and they made Paul even more zealous. Religion of I can preempt the question what does the Bible actually teach by insisting that we focus on this is what we've always done? As I said, the eyes are emphatic here and they lead us to a contrast. But what is that contrast? Well, in trying to find an illustration, uh, like to take you back to the 1700s. There is a quote taken from Sir Isaac Newton. And he sounds very magnanimous when he says this. He says, for I, if I have seen farther, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And we think, wow, that, how humble. You know, he stood on the shoulder of Galileo, Descartes. But when we look at the emphasis on the I and look for the contrast, we have to stay in the context of where it was written and said. And in this context, Isaac Newton is writing to Robert Hooke. And Hooke was a man who had helped him greatly in astronomy, and Hooke was a man who felt like 
He was shortchanged by Isaac Newton, and he was begging for even a crumb of respect to fall from Isaac Newton's table. And it was under great pressure that Isaac Newton actually wrote a letter to Robert Hooke. And in there he mentions Descartes and his work, and he gives Hooke a little bit of acknowledgement of his contribution to science. And then he says the phrase, if I have seen farther, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And the word giants was capitalized because Isaac Newton saw Robert Hooke not only as a man who was very short in stature and had a twisted back, and he called him behind his back a pygmy, he thought of him as a mental pygmy as well. And so when Isaac Newton says this phrase, he is not being humble. He is, I believe, saying one of the most arrogant and mean-spirited, yes, veiled, put-downs in the history of science, if not the English language. In short, Isaac Newton, as the English might say, was a nasty piece of work. And the contrast that he made between, I stand on the shoulders of giants, and what he didn't say was, I wouldn't stand on the shoulders of a pygmy. But the contrast you have in front of you in your scriptures between 13 and 14 and moving on to 15 is by a man who was a nasty piece of work, was he not? Verse 13, I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. He didn't just want to harass Christians. He didn't just want to ruin their day. He wanted to destroy them. He was a nasty piece of work. And yet the contrast that we see him writing here is one of the most humble, the most acknowledging of him being the pygmy, him being nothing, and God being everything, because he writes in verse 15, and, and the conjunction, I, 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 I love the conjunction in the Greek, but, literally, but when God was pleased. I sought to destroy the church of God. I thought I would excel in Judaism. I thought I would do all these things, but God was pleased. There's the contrast. That's why I don't think this is an autobiography. It points to God and what he has done. When God, when he had set me apart, the New American Standard says, set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. That's what God did. And what he's calling him to is the faith of God. If we look at Genesis 1.1, in beginning God, faith begins with God, and God begins faith. It's none of ourselves. It's not according to man. It's not by instruction from man. God has to do it. And it's a free gift. He says, 
When he called me, he set me apart. He called me through his grace. That gift of God. And it was God's pleasure. It wasn't Paul's pleasure to receive it, although now I'm thinking he would say yes. But it was God's pleasure to reveal his son in him. Jonathan Edwards calls this kind of feeling, this thing in the heart. He says this is the sense of the heart. He's not talking about we have warm emotions toward God or we have this thankful feeling toward God. What he's saying is that it affects our total being, our thinking, our willing, our feeling, our, our, our senses of him, how we hear him, how we respond to him. Everything is affected. And, and what was the result of this initiative that God took, of God's revelation? Verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Do you not think that this is a history-shattering revelation? Change the course of history in man. Because Paul was the man selected. We, we, we have the theology, we have the doctrine, we have the background. And yes, there are the other apostles as well. But this great moment in history, and Paul's saying, you know, I did this religion of I, Judaism, this persecution, this trying all these things, and my extreme or extraordinary zeal for these things. He says, but God. But when God was pleased, it all changed. I do not preach a religion of merit, of nationalism, of competition, of tradition, but I do preach a gospel that is a benefit to all the nations. You see, he says, I was made an apostle to, to preach to the Gentiles. He's, again, we talked about that opening up, how the gospel is opening up to all. It has... A universal application here. He says, I do not need, you know, he, he talks about here the, the apostles who were before me. He does acknowledge there were apostles they were, that were before me. There were his elders in Christianity. And yet he's saying, but I, I didn't need a certificate from them. And the idea of, of the consulting, you know, a consultant in those days, particularly a religious consultant, was one who interpreted mystical experiences. And it's as if Paul is saying, I didn't need a certificate from any of those apostles that, that authenticated my gospel as being a real mystical experience. But I do preach a gospel of Jesus Christ, revealed to me by Christ, about Christ, from Christ, and everything else. All other Gospels don't work. They don't honor God. And they don't teach us how to do what is right before Him. Paul's Gospel proclaims the relevancy of God's revelation of Himself in Christ. Paul's Gospel preaches rejection of the religion of I, whose ideas whose source, whose glory is man's, not God's. And Paul's gospel says to us, receive the faith of God. It is a gift. It is a sure calling. It is a reminder of his good pleasure toward you. Let us pray.
Our Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you were the one who had the pleasure trip, that it was your good pleasure to reveal your son in him, and that you used him, and that he was usable to you for these things, for our good, for our help. And so we ask that we might be those who would take great joy in this gospel, that we would study it, we would learn it, we would know it, and we would proclaim it, because we know that it is not from ourselves or not from man, but it is from you. We ask again that you would be glorified, you would be honored, you would be lifted up, and that you would build up your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise for the benediction. A little bit lengthy, but again, honoring to the Lord from Romans 16. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, Paul writes, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen.